1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 28. We'll look at verses 19, actually 16 through 22. Follow along with me. It says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. If you guys are just joining with us, Thessalonians is a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to this new church. This church has only been around for possibly a couple months, not even a year yet. Paul helped establish this church over a three-week three process or a little bit longer. And now he was writing to them to encourage them, to strengthen them, to exhort them, and to make sure that they got established. And for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at chapters 4 and 5, kind of the hope that we have before us, that this book is all surrounding the rapture, that Jesus can come back for his church at any moment right now, because that's the last prophecy that needs to be fulfilled. He can come back for us today or tomorrow, and how we should live in that type of anticipation of Jesus Christ's um, calling us home to be with him. In verses 12 through 18, we looked at like what, a, what we consider a healthy church. When you think of a healthy church, what were some characteristics that you would see involved? And Paul the Apostle says that the people in the church would respect and honor the leadership that God has placed there, that he has placed over them. He also encouraged them to warn those that are unruly, to comfort the faint-hearted, to uphold the weak and to be patient with all. He told, he told us not to take revenge when someone does wrong to us. And then he gives us these three encouraging statements. Rejoice always, rejoice always pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Now that seems like a tall order, don't you think? To rejoice constantly, to pray without stopping, and in everything give thanks. This seems almost impossible, and I would say it is, without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's involvement in our lives is what is crucial to this. And that's why we've titled the message of this one, Don't Quench the Spirit. Because the Spirit is actually what helps enable us to live this life. The Holy Spirit actually produces the life of Christ within us. Without the Holy Spirit, we can never be like Christ. God saw that. He saw that, that we were powerless to live for him. And so he goes, you know what I'm going to do? He goes, I'm going to die on the cross for their sins, and then I'm going to give them the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that would help them and lift them up and encourage them. See, the Holy Spirit was actually poured out in Acts chapter 2 on this day called Pentecost where the Holy Spirit indwells. When you actually accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart then. He dwells inside of you. But there's a further experience the Lord wants us to kind of encounter. And it's the Holy Spirit coming upon believers and empowering them for works of service, to love others, to put people before themselves and put Christ above all. That's what this kind of section is talking about. 
And when Paul says, do not quench the spirit in verse 19, that word quench means extinguish a fire or stop from burning. Did you guys know Gatorade's slogan is thirst quencher? It literally destroys your thirst. It satisfies that thirst. And so that idea of quench, extinguish, is to kind of get rid of. Have you guys ever had a new passion or a new desire, or you wanted to play an instrument and you've never played an instrument before? You wanted to try a new sport like football or baseball or something different, and you were going to, but then all of a sudden someone, maybe in your family, maybe your parents, maybe your siblings, maybe even a close friend, said something to discourage you and to literally stomp on that passion, and literally it kind of never went anywhere. Like it was a thought, but it never went past that. Have you guys experienced that before? I have. And sometimes we can do that to the third person of the Trinity in our lives. See, we worship and serve a God that is one God in three persons. Really hard to wrap your mind around. I do not expect any of you to comprehend it. I don't fully comprehend it. But I don't want a God I can fully comprehend because that's a lame God. Our God is three persons in one. You have God the Father, you've God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so, the Holy Spirit here, the third member of the Trinity, is what we're talking about. And when Paul uses this word quench, he's picturing the Holy Spirit as fire. Now, the Holy Spirit is not fire, okay? He's not fire where you can get burned. He's not electricity where you can get shocked, (laughs) He's not some type of energy or force like Star Wars. Oh, maybe the force be with you. (laughs) That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually a person who can be grieved, who is the third person of the Trinity. He has an emotion. He has a will, just like you and I. And when John the Baptist was referring to the Holy Spirit, he said this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he, referring to Jesus, who is to come after me, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What does that mean? When it talks about he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, that is talking about the upon experience. Because the Holy Spirit is with everybody, believers and non-believers, convicting them. He comes and indwells us as believers. But then the third experience is he comes upon. Now, I love this word baptize. You know why? In the Greek, it literally means to immerse in water. So when you, you, you dunk somebody in. When we have pool parties at my house over the summer, Sometimes, actually, we, we tend to wrestle, and we throw each other in the pool. And so when people try to tackle me, I'll, ta- I'll take them, and I'll be like, I baptize you, and I'll hold them under the water, and I'll pull them up, and I'll baptize them again, jokingly. But that's the idea. It's to immerse. But the cool thing about this word, it's even more than that. It's actually talking about a sunken ship. And back then, ships were made out of what? Wood. Wood actually has bubble air pockets within it. And in order for a boat to actually be sunken, it needs to be saturated in water, where all those bubbles are replaced with water. 
and it sinks to the bottom. That's what God wants to do with us in our lives. He wants our lives to be saturated with the Holy Spirit, where we're literally sunken down into the depths, and it's Him in us and not us ourselves. So he says he's going to be baptized you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, when it talks about quenching the Spirit, this does not mean that the Holy Spirit himself is extinguished because he can never be put out. This refers to his activity in the human heart. So if you want God to move in your life, there's ways you can do that. But if you want to prevent God from moving in your life, there's also ways you can do that. And that's what we're talking about here, is the Holy Spirit, when we, he is quenched, God is prevented from being, is from being moving within your life. And I'll be honest, I'll, I'm a professional at quenching the Spirit. <laughs> I've done it on multiple occasions, probably too many times to count. And I could probably tell you the leaders have as well. <laughs> we have had moments where God speaks to our hearts and we ignore it and we put out that fire. And to be honest, I regret every single one of those times. There was one time where I was, I think in high school ministry or something like that serving in the Lord or somewhere else told me to go talk to somebody. And it was just like really, like he kept putting this on my heart. He couldn't put it on my heart. Like I didn't really hear God. I, I felt this impression. And I was like, okay, I'll do it, okay, I'll do it, okay, I'll do it. And I kept putting it off, and then all of a sudden, someone else goes and talks to that person. And I felt God speak to me and says, Josh, if you don't want to be used, I'll use somebody else. I quenched the spirit, that fire that he put inside. See, we can extinguish the fire of the spirit in our own personal lives, which in return would quench the spirit within our homes and will quench the spirit within the church, and then we'll quench the spirit within the world. It all starts with us personally, and allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way. So, how do you think the spirit is quenched in our lives? What are your guys' thoughts? How do you personally think the spirit is quenched within someone's life? Is there anything specific that would prevent God from moving? These are things I've learned on my own personal walk with the Lord. First, our doubts. Our doubts can kind of prevent God from moving. That means questioning Him and saying, ah, oh, no, He didn't really say that. It can prevent God from doing what He wants to do in and through our lives. When I... Uh, Back in November, I was praying about what God wanted to do in 2023, especially with only having six months left with you eighth graders. I was like, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And this word kept coming to mind, hope. I was like, that's nice, but I don't think that's it. God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And he kept just saying, hope, hope. And that word kept coming up in verses I would read all, all around. And I was doubting it. I was questioning it. And God's like, dude, stop questioning me. <laughs> just be obedient. And I was like, all right, I did it. And I've, it just keeps coming up. It's just having this confident expectation. So don't doubt. The second thing is refusal or resistance. 
refusing to work with God, or being unwilling, resisting Him. When we resist God, it quenches what the Lord wants to do in our lives. By putting up our hands and saying, no, God, I'm not going to do that. Do you know, Peter, I think, tried to do this more than anybody. When Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I'm going to go to the cross and die, Peter says, no, you're not going to go to the cross. You know what Jesus said to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Your mind is not on the things of the Spirit, but your mind is on the earthly things. There's another time where God appeared to Peter and had this vision. He saw this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven with all these types of unclean animals. And God says, eat. And he's like, no, I'm not going to eat. Because Jews, they're not allowed to eat pork. They're not allowed to eat shrimp and some other things that we so love. (laughs) Because that's kosher. And that was the Old Testament. And so by God saying that, they were, Peter was like, no, God. And this happened three times. And he told God no three different times. God says, no, you're going to do what I say. <laughs> by resisting. Acts 7, 51 says, P, uh, this is Stephen, who was actually a disciple. He wasn't an apostle. He was a disciple who actually was waiting on tables. But he was filled with the Spirit of God. And he's standing in front of the Sanhedrin. These 70 Jewish leaders, and he's calling them out. He just has this fire and this boldness. And he's, he's preaching to them. He's, he's giving them a Bible study from the Old Testament all the way to the time of Christ. And then this is how he responds. He goes, you stiff neck and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. It's like, dang, like that's a drop, like drop the mic moment. <laughs> he was just like calling them out. And they got so heated and so angry that they picked up stones and started stoning him to death. And he literally said, God, forgive them. They don't realize what they do. And he saw heaven open up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And they killed him in that moment. Powerful testimony. That was the first Christian to be martyred for their faith. But we can resist like the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, the Holy Spirit. Non-believers, when they feel that conviction about a certain sin or behavior and they don't confess it, that is resisting the Spirit of God. Third, distraction of others. We can be distracted by other people. We can get our eyes off of God and on each other. And when we get our eyes on each other, then the spirit's also quenched. That fire is not being fueled. Because I'm kind of concerned about what you guys think instead of what God thinks. We all fall into that category. But did you know, this is something I've I've learned and I have to still relearn it. Being self-aware quenches the spirit. What do I mean by that? When you become more aware of yourself in that environment, that is dangerous. When you, also, when you make a joke in front of your friends and nobody laughs, you're like, oh, man, that was stupid, and you're regretting it or something like that. That's becoming self-aware. You're becoming aware of your own actions. That actually hinders what God wants to do because you're getting your eyes on yourself and not on the Lord. We need to be Christ-aware and say, God, what is it you want to do in this moment here? And when we pray that way, things tend to change. Also, by neglecting, by neglecting prayer, 
by neglecting God's word, by neglecting coming to church, these things hinder the spirit. Young Timothy, which was Paul's son in the faith, his disciple, his companion, he actually had encouraged Timothy in this aspect. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, Timothy. You have a gift. Don't neglect it. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Therefore, I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. That, that kind of in the Greek, it literally means stir up the fire again unto life. Stir up that fire again. You, if you are a believer in Christ, you actually have spiritual gifts from God that he wants you to use and operate in. These abilities are not natural abilities like how to play sports and different things. These are supernatural abilities that work naturally in your life. That sounds confusing, doesn't it? Supernatural abilities that work natural in your life. For instance, me teaching here. I have not been educated or trained. I've not gone to school. I've gone to Bible college and I took one teaching class. But the Lord has given me the gift of teaching for you. There's gifts that God has given you. Maybe it's acts of service. Maybe some of you guys are really good givers and you want to just bless people all the time. Maybe some of you have like this tremendous compassion. Maybe you are like God-given leaders and you, you can, people follow you. Paul was reminding Timothy, don't neglect that gift. And fifth, our disobedience. By disobeying God is how we quench the spirit. One commentator, he said, the spirit's fire is quenched when his presence is ignored. His promptings are suppressed and rejected. And the passion which he has kindled in the heart is dampened by unspiritual attitudes, criticism, or actions. All of us at one point in our lives will quench the spirit. What do you do when you do? Simple. Same thing when you sin. Confess it apologize to God and ask for forgiveness, then move on. And then whatever God's prompting in your heart to do, be obedient in that. Because he won't show you the next step until you're obedient in that one step. I speak from experience. Not only that, the book of Joshua demonstrates that. God did not give Joshua, here's the whole entire plan. God gave him one step at a time, one step at a time, until he was obedient in that one step. And then he could move on to the next step. So, that's how we quench the spirit. What's the opposite of extinguish? Ignite. That's actually to start a fire, to ignite. Like an engine will ignite the car. It's an igniter. That's technically not the same thing. What's the opposite of extinguish? It's to fan into flame. It's to fuel the fire. Now, how many of you guys have played with fire before? Isn't it fun? Fire is so fun to play with. We used to take hairspray in a match, and we would find some ants outside, and just go, and just fry all the ants. <laughs> Basically a home flamethrower. We made so many different things. We played with fire growing up constantly. Um, there was one time, uh, my brother-in-law, he 
just graduated high school, so they were having a bonfire across the street at the neighbor's house, and they were all dumping their papers into the bonfire to celebrate. So he takes his backpack and dumps it out, and he goes, oh no, everything falls out, and there was a can of Axe body spray inside. And so they're like, all right, stand back, stand back. So they wait, wait 10 to 20 minutes, nothing happens. He goes, maybe it wasn't in there, maybe I didn't put it in there. He takes a stick, pokes the fire, he actually hits the can. A fireball goes and consumes him. He comes walking across the street into our house to get some first aid. Literally, eyebrows singed off, eyelashes singed off, his hair, he was smoking, literally, as he walked into our door, like because of this fireball that went. And so playing with fire is fun. But how do we kind of fan into flames the spirit? How do we fan into flames that passion? How do we actually pour gasoline on the Holy Spirit so that he actually consumes us even more? I think that's a solid question. I don't know about you, but I want to be consumed with the spirit. I want the spirit to have more control over my life. And here's some things. Trusting God. By walking by faith. Trusting in his promises. Finding promises and holding on to them. There's one promise that I hold on to and I love. And it actually goes with the song list that we sing today. And it's Luke 11, 13. Luke 11, 13, Jesus says to them, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? In other words, God says, dude, if you ask for the Spirit, I'm going to give it to you. And I pray that constantly. God, you told me this. I'm praying for the Spirit. Trusting, walking by faith. That means not by sight or by feelings, but by faith, trusting in Him. I would say being willing. That is huge. Don't resist Him. Say, Lord, you have my yes. I will submit, even if it's something uncomfortable, if it, even if it's something I didn't want to do. Did you... It, there's been so many times I didn't want to do something because I, it was uncomfortable. There has been so many times God has put something on my heart that sounded strange and weird, and I put it off. But do you know, every time I finally was obedient, I told myself I should have done it sooner. Every time. The Lord wanted me to talk to somebody recently, and I put it off for a couple months. And I finally was obedient. And I was like, God, I should have done that. I should have done that sooner. Don't procrastinate like me. When the Lord prompts your heart, whether that's to raise your hand during a time of prayer, whether it's to go forward when the invitation's given, when it's to pray for somebody else, don't ignore those promptings. God wants our willingness. When you're obedient, when you're obedient, man, it actually brings so much clarity. If you have decisions that you want to make and you're confused, be obedient in the areas that God is speaking to and you'll have clarity in the other areas. That is true. Obedience brings light and clarity. It lifts the fog and it makes things come together. By praying, by being in the word of God and not neglecting those things. And fifth, being led by the Spirit. 
To be walking in the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit, to be sensitive. Now, the word spirit in the Greek literally means wind. We've seen the power of wind. Did anybody see the tornado, like, in California that was kind of forming? That was a trip, right? That was nuts. It was, like, starting to come down. I was like, what? In California? I've never seen tornadoes in California. It was a trip. Um, It didn't fully connect, but it kind of did. Wind is powerful, correct? But you guys have been possibly standing somewhere where all of a sudden you just feel the gentle breeze of that wind, right? Going through your hair or lack of hair, Um, going across your skin. The Holy Spirit actually leads gently. It's a gentle nudge sometimes. And it's actually very simple and we mistake it. We say, oh, that can't be God. And oftentimes it is God speaking to us. I'll share this one moment also. I think I've shared it before. But there was one time I was taking my um, button-up shirts to the dry cleaners. And as I dropped them off, I saw, and I, I'm, I am an observant person, but I'm not super observant. And all of a sudden, I noticed the lady at the dry cleaners. She was wearing a wig. Now, there's honestly a lot of ladies, even at our church, that wear wigs, and you would never even notice it. I don't know why I noticed it this time. I said, she's wearing a wig. Do you know what came in my head next? She has cancer. Pray for her. What? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna ask her for like. Can I pray for her? That's kind of weird. And I explained it away, and I procrastinated, and I was disobedient. But actually, later on, finally asked, "Hey, do you need prayer?" She goes, "Yeah, I've been going through chemo treatment." And I was like, "Wow." That to me was God orchestrating and God speaking. The Lord might do that in your life with one of your friends or family members. Encourage you. Don't quench the spirit. In verse 20, he says, do not despise prophecy. The word despise means to dislike, to have no respect for something. Now, prophecy is a gift of the spirit. This is something that God gives to certain believers. And there's two aspects to prophecy. First, predicting the future. You might be thinking, what? We have the power to predict the future? No, you do not have the power. I do not have the power. God has the power to predict the future. He might do so through you. I'll say this. I didn't know this until I was going through Bible college. My probably second or first semester, my great-grandmother told me when I was born, sorry, my my grandmother told me my great-grandmother said when I was born that I was going to be a preacher one day. When I was born. I had no idea my great-grandmother said this until I was in Bible college, going after this kind of burden that the Lord put on my heart. That to me is a trip. That's a word of prophecy in a sense. My grandmother, she loved Jesus, but when she got uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, she couldn't remember you. You would walk through the door, she goes, hi, what's your name? And then five minutes later, hi, what's your name again? Like, and it would just repeat over and over. But my dad would ask her scriptures. Hey, what's John 3, 16? she could quote it word for word. He would ask her other scriptures and she could quote it word for word because God's word never goes away. God can actually speak into your life and actually show us the future from time to time. Does this happen often? I would say it's rare, but it is possible. The second aspect of prophecy is speaking forth the word of God. And this is more what we see today is when God gives somebody a message and they deliver the message. This takes place 
through the teaching of God's word, but it also can take place in a small group setting. It could take place through a biblical guidance or counseling. It can take place through a one-on-one as you are talking to a stranger. All of a sudden, the Lord might give you a message for somebody else. As I was listening to Pastor David teach this section, when he first started the church and they were meeting in a house, he was doing topical messages, but he felt led to teach through a book. And he was praying about which book. And God's like, hey, try the Gospel of Mark. He's like, I don't know. I'm not going to try. That's just too much. And he was kind of like going back and forth, going back and forth. Then on one Sunday, I believe, this one lady was there that he's never seen before. And after this moment, he's never seen again. She came in, waited till everyone was done talking to him. She walks up to him and she goes, teach the gospel of Mark. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, how did you know like, I was wrestling with this? And that was a message from God. And so God can speak to you, and I'll say this, even through your parents. That's probably sometimes the last place we want to hear it, sometimes, right? <laughs> but the Lord can use them to speak into your lives. Chuck Smith says, the gift of prophecy is being a channel through which the Lord may speak, just like a hose. And you're using the hose, someone can come up behind you and crank it. The hose doesn't produce the water. The hose is just a channel. You don't produce the message. You don't produce the prediction. It's the Lord through you. But I would be careful. I wouldn't make predictions. That, to me, terrifies me. Because back in the Old Testament, you know what happens? If a prophet made a prediction that didn't come to pass, Grab some stones, guys. <laughs> they would stone the person for making a false prediction. I'm not saying that we're going to do that now, <laughs> but be careful. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 says this. Pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts, and especially prophecy, that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks a mystery. Going on to verse 3. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, comfort to men. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, what Paul is doing here in this section, he's taking two gifts and he's comparing them. Because some people in Corinth were saying the gift of tongues is the best gift. And Paul's like, no, it ain't. Now, the gift of tongues, for, that, for those that don't know, it's the ability to speak in a language you've never learned before, but to praise God in that language. So all of a sudden, if you don't ch know Chinese, all of a sudden the Spirit can actually give you this gift, and it builds you up personally, and you're speaking Mandarin, basically, to the Lord, praising God and glorifying Him and you've never learned it one day in your life. Or it could be Tagalog, or it could be any other language. But it should not be used in a public setting like this unless there is someone with the gift of interpretation. And somebody's able to interpret that. I've been in a setting at Bible college where someone actually used the gift of tongues and someone interpreted it. And my spirit instantly knew it was correct. It lined up. When all of a sudden that person said those things, I didn't understand it, but then when they interpreted it, it made sense. It just went together evenly, and I was encouraged. It was beautiful, but it was kind of strange at the same time. Paul is saying here, don't desire the gift of tongues. Instead, desire the gift 
to prophesy. I want you to go back. Look at verse 4. He says, desire spiritual gifts. It's okay to desire spiritual gifts. But he says, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Because it, prophecy is encouraging. It's edifying. It's exhorting and comforting. That means it builds up believers. It encourages people's faith. It says, the word exhortation is kind of like a coach. Like, hey, you got this. Come on. Press in deeper. And to comfort. That's what this gift is. So let me encourage all of us. Don't despise prophecy. Desire prophecy. Don't despise prophecy. Desire it. Desire to encourage. Desire to exhort and comfort one another. In 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 14, 29 through 33, I'm not going to read it, but I'll explain it. Basically, when someone prophesies, other people are called to kind of examine and judge and test whether that is of the Lord or not. And they were to do it in order, one by one, not speaking over each other. Sometimes you might go to a church service that's different, maybe a little more Pentecostal, and there's three or four people prophesying or speaking in tongues all at once. God is a God of order. And if God doesn't speak over himself, he says there needs to be structure. And he says, when someone does prophesy, gives a message from the Lord, be careful to judge it, examine it, see if it's from God. Because God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches. So if someone comes over to you and says, hey, I have a message for God for you, and all of a sudden they speak something, test it. Test it against God's word. Because if it's a message that contradicts God's word, then God didn't speak through, through them. One time, Pastor David said, a lady came up to him and says, I have a message for God for you. He goes, all right, what is it? She's like, you need to move your Sunday services to Saturday. And Pastor David's like, that's not from God. <laughs> Nowhere in scripture does it say we should have a Bible study on a Saturday. You should get into God's word any time throughout the week. You can have a Bible study on Sunday, Saturday, Monday. We have Bible studies taking place here on campus every day of the week, pretty much. So, test it. Um, one author said this. I don't know who, but I'm quoting it from memory. If you only have the Word of God, you will dry up. If you only have the Spirit of God, you will blow up. But if you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you will grow up. And that's God's heart, is he wants us to grow up. But we need the God's spirit and the word. In verse 21, he says, test all things. That means to examine and judge. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Notice there's false prophets out there. People saying that they have a message from God, but it's not true. So we need to test them. Test every spirit. And that's why I encourage you to take notes and don't just trust me because I'm on staff at a church. Look up what I'm saying and seeing if it's true. Because honestly, there might be a time where somebody comes into a church and might have a, not the correct spirit. I've had that moment before. And we need to be on guard. We need to test them to see if they're of God or not. He says, hold fast to what is good. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, cling to what is good. The word cling in the Greek literally means glue to. Concrete yourself to. He says, glue yourself to. How many of you guys have taken super glue and 
glued your fingers together? I knew it. I knew several of you guys did. That's the idea. He's saying glue yourself to good things. Hold on to them. What good things are you gluing yourself to? Are you gluing yourself to God's word? Are you gluing yourself to prayer? Are we gluing ourselves to other brothers and sisters in the Lord? And then in verse 22, he says, abstain from every form of evil. The word abstain means to be distant, to hold back, to avoid. We saw this verse used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you don't have sex before marriage or outside of marriage. The English word abstain means restrain oneself from enjoying something. Now, evil is enjoyable. I'll be the first one to say that. Sin is enjoyable. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be hard to resist. But we're called to resist it. Because of our sinful nature, it is enjoyable. But we're called to hold ourselves back from it. The thing with evil is we have to define it because the world that we are living is redefining good and evil. If we had a column of good here and a column of bad here, what the world is doing is they're taking things, putting it over here and vice versa, and they're switching things constantly around. And that's what Isaiah the prophet, chapter 5, verse 20 said, Woe to you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We live in a culture that is saying that stuff is good when it really is bad. And they're saying that stuff is evil when it really is good. That's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit to discern, to come alongside of us. The word evil means wicked, worthless, crime, or bad. And there's only one person in the universe has the right to say what is evil and what is good, and that is God. If anybody goes against God's standards for what is good and evil, beware, because that is not right. Something else I want us to notice. Notice that Paul doesn't say, abstain from some forms of evil, or stay away from the really bad forms of evil. No, he says, avoid every form of evil. This is an exhortation that we need today. And the sad part is that we, God shouldn't have to say this to us, but he needed to, and he still does. The reason why we need this is because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, you might be thinking, what is leaven? Leaven is the yeast kind of that they put into bread, and it would actually permeate the whole entire loaf. You can think of leaven as cancer. A little bit of cancer in the body can infect and influence the rest of the body. I had one junior hire who actually was an eighth grader when I first started in 2015. He hit me up several months ago, and they found a mass in his neck, in his thyroid. And it was because he actually got in a pretty bad accident with his friend, and they had to go to the ER. And thankfully, they did, because that's when they discovered this mass in his neck. And he was texting me, hey, Josh, pray for me. And I was praying for him, and they were able to remove it. And now he has a scar, like massive, like this, going down his throat because they had to open him up. They had to remove uh, the mass. And the mass was probably this big, but like this wide. And he never felt it, really, until they kind of pointed it out. I don't know what the future has for each and every one of you. But if that would have stayed in there, it would have infected and destroyed his whole body, killing him. Little forms of evil can influence the rest of it. Some people... You'll hear this, 
and I promise you will hear this in your day. You might hear it from other Christians in this church. Well, it only has a little bit of evil. It only has a little bit of sin. I have a question then. How much evil does it have to have in order for it to be bad? When I grew up, my parents said that we have a three-strike rule watching TV. Three cuss words, done. Then we change the channel or we turn it off. Is anybody's family like that? Couple? See, that's what we, I had growing up. How much bad, how much evil does there have to be in order for it to be bad and not be able to watch it? Is it one cuss word, two cuss words? Is it a couple bad scenes? I'm not trying to be legalistic. I want us to think, okay? Let the Holy Spirit convict you. I don't want to put your, my standards on you. But I'll say this. Imagine, on, let's say um, this Wednesday coming up when we have our potluck. If I cooked enough brownies for both junior high and high school, made several trays of brownies. You guys like brownies? I think brownies are okay, but anyways, we'll use it for illustration. So I cook brownies. I like cookies better. But if I made brownies for everybody, and I said, hey guys, there's one little ingredient before you guys all went to go grab it, and they're like nice and hot and fresh, there's only one new ingredient I added. It's dog poop. But it's only a little bit of dog poop. Would you eat the brownie? Really? That is disgusting. That is wrong. How many guys would not eat the brownie? I would not eat the brownie. No ways. If there's just a little bit of dog poop in the brownie, do not even think about it, okay? That's kind of how we should treat things in life. But sometimes we make compromises. Oh, it's just a little bit. Oh, it's only this. But if you constantly allow that little bit, then it's going to be a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then five years down the road, you're going to be allowing things in your life that shouldn't be in a Christian life. You're going to be tolerating things that shouldn't be tolerated. When the Lord says, this is the standard, but you're living down here. Not that this is the standard of perfection. God says, this is what I want for your life. The Holy Spirit to move through you where you are used to speak encouragement and comfort to other people. Where God literally will direct you into a path of a sinner where you can actually lead them to Christ and encourage them. I wonder, are we living the level of Christianity that Christ intended us to? The Holy Spirit is that defining act and feature in the life of the believer. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. I only quoted part of the verse earlier. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. I've never used the word abhor in my life. Have you guys? That word in Greek literally means has this intense hatred. Did you know as believers we can intensely hate something? And we're told, we're commanded to intensely hate evil. Intensely hate it. Now, we're not called to intensely hate people. Don't misinterpret me. He says evil. We are called to love people with the love of Christ. And we can't love people without the Holy Spirit's help. But also, we're called to hate evil. But you also have to know evil in order to hate it correctly. If you don't know good from evil, ask the Lord to help you discern between the two. What are the reasons and the motives we should stay away from evil? Because it hurts God. If I were to ask you, 
How many of you intentionally hurt your family members? And you get pleasure out of that. I don't think any of you would raise your hand. I think we accidentally hurt our family members by saying things. I've said things to my parents that I regret. I've said things to my siblings that I regret. But did you know you and I accidentally hurt God with the things that we allow and the things that we do? The Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Our language can hurt God. Our sin, our thoughts. We need to be careful. Oswald Chambers said, never become attracted to anything that continues to hurt God. It shouldn't just be not to hurt God, but out of love for God that we should hate evil and cling to what is good. We'll kind of wrap it up here in verses 23 through 28. Follow along with me. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Great, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So in verse 23, he says, the God of peace. If you want to have peace in your life, you can't have it apart from God. You first have to have peace with God, and then you can have the peace of God. He says, now may he sanctify you completely. It means make you holy in every way, in your soul, spirit, and in your body, that the Lord will preserve you blameless till his coming. Did you guys know that we're made up as three things? Body, soul, and spirit all intertwined together, all affect one another. I love this verse in Jude 24. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Christ can prevent us from stumbling. I love that. He is able. He is exceedingly able. In verse 24, He who has called you, who is, uh, he who has called you is faithful, just uh, who is, who will also do it. I like how the NLT phrases this. God, God will make this happen for he who has called you is faithful. In other words, God can preserve you. God can keep you blameless. This is him. He can make this happen. So put all the responsibility back on him saying, God, I need you. I'm going to depend upon you. This is what you have to do in my life. Paul humbly asks, pray for us. Can I ask that humbly too? When you guys think of me, would you guys pray for me? Because when I think of you, I try to pray for you. And that's what the leaders here do. Pray for the leaders. Pray for myself. We all need each other's help. And uh, he says in verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, some of you might think, wow, that's a verse I can obey. I'll, I'll greet some people with a holy kiss. Actually, we're going to take this verse, and this is going to be our greeter verse now. So when the greeters are at the door, you're going to greet everybody with a holy kiss when you come in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> some of you guys are like, what? Some of you guys are like, sign me up for greeter ministry. <laughs> some of you are like, I'm going to bring my friends now to church. Just kidding. <laughs> this is not permission for you gentlemen to kiss ladies and vice versa or the same sex, okay? This is a warm invitation that was culturally accepted. Check this out. When I was in Peru in 2010, 
we were uh, in this church in Ica, Peru, and on Sunday morning, the pastor warned us. He goes, hey, just warning you, when the ladies come into church, some of the older ladies, they're going to give you a kiss on the cheek. And that was just the natural thing. They came to hug you, gave you a kiss on the cheek, and they kind of greeted you, and it was something cultural that happened. And that takes place in different countries and places. We often don't do that here. Some of you guys kiss your family, and that's it. Um, but it was a warm greeting back then. And notice, he does say, greet all the brethren. So, I'm just saying. Um, verse 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that you read this epistle in, in all the whole entire epistle in front of the holy brethren. This is an encouragement to be in the word of God daily, to be in the word of God weekly with each other, actually. And then he says, may the grace of God be with you all. We need God's grace in our life. And that grace is seen through his spirit given to us. So can I challenge you? I want to challenge all of us. Don't quench the spirit. Fan it into flames. Ask the Lord to help you identify those things that is hindering him from moving and then ask for his help to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He has not left you helpless. He is inside of you, able to help you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit you have, he's able to whisper to your heart. And I bet you, you've heard him speak already. You just maybe don't know it's him. And so surrender control and allow him to use you.